Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're in Exodus. And this morning's show was, uh, we actually covered two chapters, which is, I guess, 25, 26. And I'm actually going to skip rather quickly through these other chapters. Uh, 25 is this making of the tabernacle and the making of the ark. And we gave you little tidbits about that. But mostly what we want to do is keep on track with the message of Moses rather than go into the construction of all these different things. Uh, the, the tabernacle had all these curtains to it and, and some people find it rather monotonous to go there. Like, what does all this mean? And I was saying that all of it does have a certain amount of symbolism in it and that, that they're trying to give a message, but they're also creating this kind of rituals and ceremonies of a tabernacle. Now, everybody can't get in the tabernacle. It's not a big meeting hall. They're not going to have a big sing fest in there. It contains the Holy of Holies. And there's some other priests in there. And uh, there's a whole courtyard around it. And you have to... The, the most critical thing is really difficult to understand... What they're all doing. you got thousands of people that are involved with this tabernacle. Now, they're organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They they did this just to get out of Egypt and to travel and to keep track of one another. You know, thousands of people going across the desert, down the wadis, bringing sheep and cattle. And there's all kinds of logistical problems uh, you got to find feed for these animals. People are moving about. There's the danger of other people coming after you, uh, both the Egyptians and then when they get across the Gulf of Aqaba, you've got, you know, Malachites and all these t- different people. Now they see thousands and thousands of people in a big crowd. They may not want to attack them unless they get real organized themselves. But people have to have, their sheep have to eat. We talk about people having to drink water and all this stuff, but they're bringing flocks and cattle with them. They have to have grass to eat, feed to eat. They cannot just eat rocks and dirt. So there's a, you know, this area may be much drier now than it was then. And of course we know that vast amounts of water showed up at different times, which could irrigate fields, uh, in a very short period of time, you put water on the desert, all kinds of grass could grow up because the seeds can lay dormant for a long time when you have these places with intermittent rain. So, anyway, in Exodus 26, we have this building of the tabernacle. And I talk about a, a lot of different things, uh, this mishkan, this tent, and why are they there? And the reality is, is what they're doing, the essential of what they're doing is creating a social safety net through fervent charity, not through legal charity. Then you have in 27, the building of this bronze altar. So I didn't really get into that 
uh, in detail, but they talk about horns on the altar. I have another article started on the horns of the altar and what this altar is all about. But then they also talk about the court of the tabernacle in verse 9 of 27. And so what's all in the courts? And they talk about sockets of brass and twined linen and it can be very boring if you don't understand all the symbolism. And to tell you the truth, I do not understand all of the symbolism. I've been working on this for years and years and years. It's very complex. And really, you have to get into the actual Hebrew words in great depth to try to see where the flow is. But it's meant to be cryptic. And it's meant in the ceremonies itself and the structures itself, it's meant to be cryptic. Uh, to create a sort of air of mystery around it. Why are we doing all this stuff? And it's a, like I said, it's a rather impressive structure. But what is really impressive is the fact that these people are living in the desert. Thousands and thousands of people. Their health is improving day by day. They are uh, flourishing. They're, they're, they're having children. Uh, they're surviving. There will be some difficulties as they go along the way. And, of course, there will be some organized military that attacks them and thinks that they can succeed in destroying them and rob them. They do see some of their gold, some of their bronze, of course, the average guy coming, he can't tour the tabernacle to see what's in there. They don't have the golden statue yet. They haven't dealt with that, which is maybe what we're going to be talking about in this program. But I'm I'm skipping through a lot of these. I have footnotes on the pages that talk about some of the important things, and I will be updating those footnotes. Uh, overall, uh, Exodus is about redemption. And, and that's a critical thing to understand. Now, we, we all supposedly are redeemed by Christ, but of course we know if we don't do the will of the Father, then we may be just those guys who say, Lord, Lord, but are actually workers of iniquity. So we have to be doing the will of the Father. You're not just saved by the blood because you said some magic words. It, it's not about witchcraft. But redemption, and, and you know, we talk about it in Luke one sixty eight, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Well, they were redeemed from Egypt. Uh, that's, that's a well-known concept in this idea of redemption, is to set the captive free. And, uh, you know, we actually have articles on what I've, I've referred to as UCC redemption. And I don't advocate these things where people think that they can uh, break the bonds of the elements of the world. They realize that they're back in the bondage of Egypt. They realize they're back in the bondage of some government, whether they're in Australia or England and everything. And they, they owe more labor, more of their labor to the governments they live under than they did under the government of Pharaoh. And, of course, they are casting out their young, their committing abortions, uh, their, their their families are in disarray, There's you know, half of the marriages end up in divorce, uh, the narcissism is rampant as a, 
you want to talk about pandemics, narcissism and uh, psychosis are pandemic and they're considered to be normal. But, you know, I found a quote in a pictorial Bible, uh, Xanderman's pictorial encyclopedia. They said, redemption is the deliverance from a power of an alien dominion and the enjoyment of the resulting freedom. It involves the idea of restoration to one who possesses a more fundamental right or interest. And the best example of redemption in the Old Testament was the deliverance of the children of Israel from bondage, from the dominion of the alien power of Egypt. And, of course, they went into bondage because they didn't have a social safety net. They didn't have a social safety net because they cast their own brother into bondage. And so, therefore, he didn't tell them that the famine was coming and they didn't prepare for the famine. And so they ended up going into bondage. Now, I don't know if people could have... Well, I do know that uh, people like uh, Calvin Coolidge said that the United States was headed for economic crash and other people were warning us. They were warning us way back before Mendel House uh, was creating the Federal Reserve with the other guys, you know, at Jekyll Island and all that stuff. Federal Reserve is a disastrous departure from the ways of Moses and the ways of Jesus Christ. It's a centralized treasury has everything of value and you get stuff that has no value. I mean, Federal Reserve's, Federal Reserve notes have no value. You know where I heard that? From the Federal Reserve. Actually, when I was, what, I, it was over 50 years ago, half a century ago, my best friend's father worked at the Federal Reserve in San Francisco. <laughs> and, uh, I was schooled on a lot of stuff. I had no idea of its significance at that time. But uh, later on, you know, I had these Kodak moments of explanations and it just astounded me. You know, I remember the first time I met his father. Uh, he was sitting in a chair. His wife was sitting in a chair. There was a little light on in the house. And they were just sitting there. And they didn't move. They didn't get up. They didn't... It was just absolutely quiet. It was like this, the guy knew more about the world than almost anybody else. <laughs> but his son was way more talkative than him, and I would get lots and lots of gems from his son. I still remember his name, and I've often wondered, he's, he's gotta be my age, an old guy somewhere. I mean, he was wealthy. The boy, on his own, was wealthy when I knew him. And I was a sophomore in high school at the time. And uh, so what? What is, what is the deal? How did he get wealthy? Well, his dad worked for the Federal Reserve. He knew what how things worked. He knew what was going to happen in the future. He knew what the value of things and how the value of things would change. And because uh, this is this is way back in the sixties, early sixties. And uh, if. You know, if I could put the pieces of the puzzle together, back then, I might be wealthy today. (laughs) But that might be a bad thing, if I was wealthy today, uh, by the same methods in which he was using. But, uh, and I don't know that he's still wealthy. He might have got married a couple of times, and his wives took all this money. (laughs) 
but redemption from a foreign power that owns you, that you're a merchandise to, that owns 10%, 20%, 30% of your labor. They own it. And you're collateral for their debt, and their debt is skyrocketing faster than you can count. And you might want to be redeemed of that. And of course, Exodus is all about that redemption. It's not about building the tabernacle. They go in great detail about it. Not just building the tabernacle, but uh, the priest's garment in Exodus 28. They go into great detail about the priest's garments and, and broidered coats and miters and girdles and holy garments uh, and linen and onyx stones and graving names of the children of Israel, probably tribal names, on the stones. You had to get somebody who could engrave these things. And two chains of pure gold at the end of the wreathen work shalt thou make them. Fasten the wreath chains to the ouches. What are that? What's that? The, the breastplates, the judgments with the cunning works. Now you could go to uh, other more modern translations that will have words that maybe you'll recognize. But unless you're reading the Hebrew or completely divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, you probably won't understand what they're talking about. The because it's so full of symbolism. But this is for the people who have already done what Moses said to do about providing for one another, taking care of one another. They set on the great adventure, the great adventure of freedom and they crossed the Red Sea. They crossed through the desert and uh, they ate the manna. They saw the miracles. And uh, they saw Mount Sinai. And now they're here building this Ark of the Covenant, and uh, which is the Ark of the Testimony, because that's what was in it. We talked about that briefly this morning. And now you have these priests. Now what do the priests do? There really doesn't need to be a lot of priests. There's a lot of Levites, but there's not a lot of priests. So the priests have some Roll. Just wear these fancy clothes, you know, uh, and thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the thighs. They shall reach. Now we have a page on breeches and we have a page on what it means to be naked. And we, so we can look at those symbols in, you know, Exodus 28 and, and decipher, well, wait a minute. If these breaches really don't have anything to do with underwear <laughs> and these breaches, uh, don't really cover actual nakedness, what are they talking about with all the rest of the robes? Yeah. It's not about, you know, and you can read that article on breaches and the altars. You know, like you have an altar that has to do with incense made of shittim wood. Uh, how's that going to work? How's that going to work out? 
Uh, and why are these people consecrated? Why are they separated? And then when we get to the separation of the Levites, why are they separated in the way that they are? Because that hasn't taken place yet. But we're seeing Aaron separated, and we're seeing these buildings, which are, you know, they're rather impressive, but they're tiny compared to the thousands of people that are a part of this system of exodus coming out of this bondage and then now establishing a separate system of government that ends up involving something to do with these big tabernacles and and sewing breaches for the priests so that we don't see their nakedness. Really? Really, is that what it's about? In our article on breaches, we see it in Exodus 28:42, where they talk about the breaches and sewing these breaches. Uh, you know, it's uh, the word shows up about five times. Micnock is what it is, and and of course that was with the priests, and then eventually it's with the Levites. But nakedness has to do with no authority. That that's really important for us to understand that the nakedness has to do with no authority. Because the priest doesn't really have authority. He's not like Pharaoh. He's not a king. He's he's not, you know, not going to take the people and draft them. He's not going to tax them. Now, there is a small tax that we are going to mention. But there's a small head tax. But... Um, but it's a tiny little amount. It's like a half a dime. And it's once a year. And it's really by family. And anybody can pay it for you. And it's basically a way of saying, I'm a part of what you're doing here. And of course, part of the rules are, if you're a part of what we're doing there, after the redemption of Moses, of the people by Moses from bondage, what you're doing there, you cannot go and do other people's things too. It has to be a clean break. And of course, when we see the redemption of the early Christians, when they made their clean break from the Corbin of the Pharisees, and, you know, Romans who became Christians made their clean break from the temples of Rome that you had to pay in, you had to go in and burn incense and of course, where do you get the incense? That would be special incense. So you buy the incense from them, and then you go and burn it. And they get the money. So it's a guaranteed sale product. And then you had to give a donation. You know, you could give a bigger donation, but there was the minimum donations. And there were other taxes as well. But you, if you were a member, you had to go in there and recognize that Augustus Caesar was the son of God. And of course, now you're saying that you're going to follow Jesus. You're, you're going to, the, a lot of them are going to be saying, no, Jesus is the Son of God, not Augustus Caesar. We're not following Caesar anymore. I still will pay all the tribute that I have to pay to Caesar, but I'm not a part of your social safety net, your religion. Because see, they had religion that was a part, they had all kinds of temples. They had the Temple of Mineta. That minted coin. Uh, and the temple at Ephesus was actually down there mostly for the people at Ephesus. I, I really shouldn't say mostly because their budget sh- spread out over the whole of the Roman Empire because over 127 
different countries contributed funds for the building of the temple of Ephesus. Not the original, but the one at that time when Paul is going down there and and the apostles are going there. And they're having this conflict with the temple of Ephesus. It was an underwriter insurance temple for all these other governments. They all paid in. It's kind of like the World Bank. They would all pay in. And they invested in fisheries and shipping. and They made lots and lots of money. They also minted coin. And that, which is why I was mentioning, Temple of Mineta minted coin up there for the Roman Emperor. But the Temple of Ephesus minted its own coin. And sometimes it did mint coins for the, because you could bring in a lot of gold and say, I want you to mint coin, because it was an art in minting coins. Unfortunately, the Temple of Ephesus, the, the minting got too extreme. <laughs> you know, the art, so to speak. And they learned how to make coin where they could regulate the amount of gold and silver in the coin. I mean, like if you buy a Cougarand a day, it's a different color than buying you know, a Mexican gold coin or an Austrian gold coin or a U.S. gold coin. Why? Because there's different amounts of other metals in the gold coin and it will give it a slightly different color. And that's pretty simple to do this day and age. But back then there was a whole art to it. And uh, it was kind of, you know, where they would take natural gold and you could melt it down but you could regulate the amount of gold so you could decrease the amount of gold, increase the amount of silver, and stamp on it the same value as if it was 100% pure gold. And uh, it was a way of fudging the money. And they were, this, the art was becoming more and more well known amongst uh, government entities, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. They reduced the amount of silver in the silver denarii that they used to pay the soldiers with and buy commodities. But everybody treated them as if they had the same value because they only took a little bit out. Nero took out much more. Uh, I think it was like it was like 40% less. Still over half silver, but 40% less. And so, uh, and eventually, of course, they took all the gold and silver out of the coins. And the coins were, there were lead coins, there were iron coins. Iron coins were a little more popular. There were actually clay coins, you know, just like the scarabs in Egypt. And the people had no value. And so when the economies began to collapse and you wanted to go somewhere and buy stuff, even on the black market, if you didn't have real commodity money, you were out of luck. But what does this have to do with redemption and the breaches of the priests? The reason I mention the breaches of the priests in these different chapters, and I'll, I'll put more in there. I'll probably put subheadings so you can find out where where these different uh, deals are, so that you can find out and uh, and take a look at them for yourself. Certainly, we have the page on breaches that you can go and open up. <clears throat> I'm already losing my voice, and so we're only part way through the program. <laughs> uh, and I want to get to the gold calf, which is Exodus 32. And so, yeah, you, we have Exodus 31, though. I, I was going to say, there's, there's a guy named Bezalel. Supposedly that's his name, Bezalel. He's the son of Uri and the son of Hur. 
and uh, he's of the tribe of Judah. And he is was supposedly filled with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And he devised cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass uh, and in cutting stone to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. So, and he's imparting a lot of this information to other Israelites who are dedicated to this system. They, they just like know stuff that other people didn't know. Now we know Moses knew a lot of stuff in the arts in Egypt, but these other guys were like geniuses. They just figured stuff out. They learned extremely fast. And the other guy is Oliab, or Aliab, uh, the son of uh, Ahishmach uh, of the tribe of Dan. So they came from different tribes. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. And I'm going to just mention this in passing. I don't want to hold it out like a carrot stick or anything. There are geniuses born every day. If they don't get aborted, they get born. And of course, evil wants them aborted. Evil wants them dead. They want them having blood clots and all kinds of problems and they want them dead. And if God doesn't want them dead, they're not going to be dead. They're going to be geniuses. And introducing the right amount of information to them, they can just run with that information and devise all kinds of things that you and I might not even be able to imagine. But they have to be instilled with the Holy Spirit to have this extra amount of genius. So I'm not going to dwell on this, but that's a real thing. And uh, that's going to, it's already taking place in places outside of our network. But in one day, it could start coming into our network, which isn't our network, but the network of God. And because what we're trying to do is show you how to create the same network that Moses was creating. And some people were excluded from some knowledge. And some people were included. We see that right away at the beginning. But how you get more included is you become more a servant. This has always been a problem. Is that people who want to believe in a philosophy or an idea, they want to join you. They say they're 100% in agreement, but they're not really in agreement with the Holy Spirit. They're in agreement with the intellectual ideas, which is partly why I've kind of skipped over uh, 26, 27, 28, 29, and, and 30, and not gone into great details with them, and even 31. I don't even have footnotes on 31. It's pretty short. It's only 18 verses, but... Probably the critical thing is that there are these geniuses that will be born in the kingdom who will guide people through because they will be also men of service. And they will guide people through and give people information. The problem isn't technology. The problem is selfishness. It, It isn't technology. Nothing wrong with technology. Uh, you can also, you can often become dependent upon technology 
if the workers of iniquity control your technology. And then you won't see certain innovations that have already come and gone and disappeared. You won't, you won't be allowed to see them. You, you won't, I was talking to a farmer just the other day and telling him about, you know, like he's, he's thinking that war is coming. I said, war's already been here for the last 50 years. We've been at steady war for almost a hundred years. But not the war that most people think. Now, the war he was talking about is the violent shoot em up war. But most people die not from bullets in wars. They mostly die of disease and hunger and deprivation and exposure, etc., etc. And that will probably still be the main killer in the war to come. But there will probably also be a shooting war here and there, all over. Uh, we already see it in the Ukraine. Uh, they're, they're facing that. But we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be turning our thinking around and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is why I wasn't going to spend several shows on these chapters. But I'm going to jump to 32. Because 32 is where people really start going wrong. And we're halfway through the show. So that looks like a good place to start. So, Exodus 32. The golden calf. And when the people saw that Moses delayed. Because see, Moses went back up to the mountain. Okay? We had these other chapters which almost seem to be inserted in there. They really don't even seem to be in the right place to some degree. And they're detailed and they're written much different. There's a lot of different words in there. I'm not saying they weren't written by Moses. I'm just saying that they are filled with all kinds of information that is cloaked in the Hebrew that you may or may not need to know. But it building all these things, building all these things and establishing all these things that they were establishing was going to be for the people who don't see the deep things. And, but now I'm going to explain some of the, you know, what the golden calf is all about. And, and this, this is really important because we've already done this. We've already built our own golden calf. And we've already done exactly what Israel was doing. And Moses didn't come down and say, stop. I'm going to, you know, Throw, you know, he did not throw the Ten Commandments down and the ground open up and swallow the golden calf. The golden calf was swallowed, but, well, we'll see, but it wasn't swallowed up by the earth. Well, actually, in a way it was. It was swallowed up by living earth, walking around earth. <laughs> and there's a whole reason to that, and I'm not going to share all that with you because it gets too deep and you miss the basics. When people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him? And, you know, in some of these words, yeah, you're not going to be, they don't know what's become of him. Yada. You know, when people say yada, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know. That's what, 
That's what they're saying. They're saying, don't, don't keep telling me. I know, I know, I know. Uh, because that's the word that they translate. We don't, we don't know what's become of him. Uh, he's, he's been gone and we're, we're afraid. You know, and so, you know, fear is a powerful tool. And Aaron said unto them, break off the gold earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. Now, remember when Gideon helped the people because he listened to the Holy Spirit. He needed signs, but he listened to the Holy Spirit and he was able to defeat the enemy. And then they wanted to make him a king and he said, I and my family will not rule over you. But you can give me gifts. And he just laid out a blanket and they, a lot of them broke off rings and they donated to his family. And, and that's okay. You can do that. But he wasn't going to rule over you. And, but we don't really have that same guarantee from Aaron. But Aaron is saying, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. You know, in India, a lot of gold Earrings and stuff is worn by the women. And the reason why is you don't rob a woman. I mean, they brutalize women a lot of times over there in India. But the reality is is that that was at one time the treasure. And they still have that idea a lot in the culture of India. Same way with a lot of the Muslim cultures. Is that they they want their value, uh, their money in gold. We should still be doing that in America. We've long... Broke off those golden earrings and fulfilled the prophecy that we would cast our gold and silver in the streets. We have already done that. The streets representing the city. We've already done that. And we don't have it anymore. And we didn't see how dangerous it was. There were people who saw how dangerous that was. How that was a bad idea and preached against it. But the people did not listen. And most people aren't going to listen to what I have to say. But those of you who do... Hear what I have to say in your hearts and in your minds. And start listening to God. You're going to start seeing things that you did not see before. It's pretty easy to prove that all the inflation you're seeing, all the groceries going up in value, they're going up in value. Uh, they're not going up. They're going up in cost because your Federal Reserve notes are going down. And, the, and you know how much they're going down by how much gold is going up. Now, that's not always the case but that's certainly what you're you're seeing on the horizon today. Because gold is a commodity money made by God and people can't, generally speaking, people can't make more. You can make a gold, you know. Uh, they have made gold in, in uh, nuclear reactors <laughs> where gold has actually turned in, I mean, lead has actually turned into gold. But not in any great quantities and not in... Not turned into gold that you want to put into your pocket because there's other elements in there too. Uh, but the fact is, uh, atoms, you know, the, you know, a gold atom, a lead atom, it's just a matter of changing the uh, nuclear structure, the vibratory frequency of that element, and it will become gold. But we don't supposedly have the technology to do that. But... Um, Anyway, so he's telling them to break off their gold earrings and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it 
with a graving tool. It says with a graving tool. We can look at the Hebrew. But after he had made it a molten calf. Okay, so he makes a molten calf. And he creates this calf. And he engraves it a little bit. You know, you trim it up. You do that with brass and anything that you make a mold and you make it. But you can add to the golden calf now by making gold leaf and pounding it into the golden calf. And you can, and the golden calf can get, become bigger and bigger. The rock drawings we see of the, the golden calf or ox that we see on the rocks there where they think this all took place. Some people think it all took place. Very long back. Uh, ox. And one of the reasons why is that as you add to it, the proportions will become more natural. But uh, when they make it, they make it so that they can add more and more to it with this gold leaf. You just pound it on and it becomes literally fused on there. But this, these have to do with the arts of the temple. So with a graven tool, after he had made the molten calf, and they said... These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So they're still having a feast to Yahweh. But they've made this golden calf. And... It is now going to rule over the hearts of the people. Now, how how does it do that? How does this, you know, God's Elohim, it means ruling judge. So, how in the world is this dead golden calf going to rule over the people as a God? How how does that even work? How, how can we even imagine that? What what is what are they really talking about when they make the statements like this in the biblical text uh, that this is a god which we see in this this verse four? Well, it's it's because why are they afraid? They're they they don't have Moses. He's not going to hold up his staff. He he's defended them by raising his staff. They were successful in battle. He's not there. They put a lot of faith in him. They're starting to learn. They, they've now taken over the judiciary through their courts of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they're now supposed to make these decisions and Moses has written up this these judgments to give them a, a jump start on creating the stare decisis of their court system that were they are now going to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But they were still very dependent upon this charismatic figure of Moses to give them a sense of security. You know, just like people do with Trump. You know, if we like Trump, he will save us. He will clean out the swamp. No, he's not going to do that. He isn't able to do that. I mean, it would take... You know, Christ wouldn't even come to do that. Christ came to do is show you another way. He's not going to fix up the way you screwed up. He's going to show you another way. And, and it is interesting that 
normally Elohim is your gods. That it is God uh, or God or both are translated from the word Elohim. But the word that we actually see in the text is very much like Elohim. It's Elohe Ka ends in the, in the cough. Uh, which is saying that this God has authority over us. Well, wait a minute. It's a molding calf. How does it have authority over you? It's your wealth. It, it's, it's the gold you had in your pocket is now in the golden calf. And now if you leave, you can't carry that golden calf off by yourself. And if there's guys attacking you, you won't be able to carry it off either. It's, it's like a, a 5,000 pound football. <laughs> you, you're not going to carry it. So if you're attacked, you have to stay there and defend the golden calf or leave broke. And so now it, it's ruling over the hearts of the people. It wasn't going to be love ruling over the hearts of the people. You were going to stay because, you know, these are your buddies. These are the people you care about. The, these are your comrades that have helped you through thick and thin. You're going to stay because your gold is in the golden calf. You're going to defend it against all comers. That's not what Moses wants. That's not what God wants. He wants you to be bound by the social bonds of love. But people aren't bound by the social bonds of love. They're, they have other bindings. The bands which are connecting you to the others. What are those bands? Well, I have the book Covenants of the Gods and show you all kinds of those bands. But they won't hold in really hard times. They just won't hold. So anyway, he goes and he says, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation that they were going to have this feast to the Lord. Were they going to give food to Yahweh? No. The feasts were things they ate. And they rose up early on the morn and offered a burnt offering and brought a peace offering, which we saw those terms before. I'll put in, uh, I'll put in links, uh, to, so that you understand their meaning. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, of course, it wasn't like the movie Moses. I don't expect it to be. But they now aren't tending to business. Because they are bound by the central treasury, this reserve fund. And that's what the golden calf was. It was a reserve fund. Many of the city-states had these. So in verse 7 we see, And the Lord said unto Moses, So this is the Yahweh they're supposedly having the feast to, Moses, go get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They corrupted themselves when they created what is known as a common purse. Or as Proverbs refers to as one purse. What we could, you know, this economy where you don't have individual purses, you have one person. You've centralized the treasury of Israel in the macro. 
But Moses wanted it, and God wanted it, and Yahweh wanted it in the micro. That the treasury is in your purse. It's harder to steal. And But you now will have the choice to sacrifice or not. To sacrifice to this minister, this Levite, this priest, or not. And you will sacrifice because he's doing a good job tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You don't have to do that anymore. You can just get up and play because everybody's bound together because your wealth is all in this reserve fund. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. This is not the way to take your gold out of your pocket and put it in a central treasury. That is not the way. And it will lead to all kinds of problems. And we've written all kinds of articles showing you what kind of problems they lead to. Moses is going to tell them as well. But then you have to kind of read the metaphors in order to know. Which I commanded them. They've gone out of the way which I commanded them. So, what way were they going? Think about their motivation to create this statue of gold and how did it corrupt the people. It made the people loyal to the statue of gold, but not to each other. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. They've served it. They've they put in their golden earrings. It was melted down and put in there. And when they get more gold, more gold will go in there. And it will become bigger and bigger. As they get more people, then more gold will go in there. Not more gold into your individual pockets. More gold into the golden calf. And this is, even in Rome, most of the gold was in the hands of the emperor and, and the extremely wealthy. But the people used silver as the general commodity of exchange. That's centralizing the power because gold is usually worth more than silver. These be thy gods. I have sacrificed unto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That's their worshiping, their serving, their funding this central fund, this central treasury. And of course, that's why Herod started the system of Corbin that he was. Everybody had to pay in to the system of Corbin, you know, a percentage of whatever they produced. And the money flowed in. Of course, Moses already told you how to get the money to flow in. First, there was the offering of the first lambs. First lamb out of, you got ten ewes. And, you know, some of them are five years old, some are six years old, some are eight years old. But the new you, the new you that is just lambing for the first time, her lambs are going to go to the Levites. They're going to go to the priests. They're going to go to the poor. That that you're going to give the firstlings to the poor. The the other seven, eight, nine, ten lambs that that you has, you get to keep those. But the firstling go there, so that we create this flow, this fervent charity right away out to. Take care of the needy of society. And like we said earlier, the spreading of the sprinkling of the blood, 
That's your choice. You have a power over the choice as to what living stone you're going to give it to. But you need to give it. And then he has the choice of what to do with it after you give it. And if he does a good job, likely he will be given again. Now, I know of a church not too far away where people like to give to the church. They claim they gave it on their income tax. Then they buy it back as a capital expense at the auction. And because it's an auction, you know, so they're playing games with their taxes. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You really want to give. God knows your heart. So you really want to give. And so, you know, there's not a lot of people giving to His Holy Church right now, but if people really start coming together and start doing what we're supposed to be doing, which we're outlining here, eventually they will start to see this and there will be people that give. But don't come because you think, because we're not supposed to be respecters of the poor. We're not supposed to weaken the poor. We're supposed to have a charity that strengthens strengthens the poor. But we're not to have a central treasury. We don't need a central treasury if everybody has value in their own pockets. That's going to get tight because you've gone the wrong way for so long. There's no two ways about it. There's a lot of meals that people will miss in the days to come. But fasting is good too. (laughs) And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Yeah, we got a lot of those around. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why dost thou wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? So Moses is pleading for the people. Wherefore should the Egyptian, Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them uh, from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Now, I don't know if this verbiage actually took place, but it's like Abraham, isn't it? And Isaac and Israel. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto you, uh, unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. Now, he's not talking about the land of Israel over there. He's actually talking about, because he just mentioned Abraham. And it's wherever the men of faith go. Remember, Abraham is the man of faith. Don't limit yourself. Everywhere you put your foot, if you really are serving God and not yourself, that shall be your land forever. And it says here, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. 
that statement needs a little unpacking, but we won't do that here. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables, or tablets as we think of them, of the testimony were in his hands, and the tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other, where they were they written. And so in verse 16 he says, And the ta- tables, the tablets, were the work of God. And the writing was in the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And so what is he talking about this War uh, in the camp of hosts. Uh, camp is, the word there that we see as camp is uh, makane, and it's translated camp and company and hosts. But it, it means a, a large group of people. But in 18, and he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. So this is interesting that you burnt gold in fire. Well, if you do that, it just it melts real low temperature, and it just becomes a liquid. Grind it. Gold don't grind grind well. I don't know. Maybe if you made it do like a little cheese grater with real fine teeth, maybe you could. But there's other places where this translates out that he started up furnaces. Now remember, we just talked about the guys who did all sorts of strange metalwork. Uh, we know in Egypt they seem to have some way of generating light down in these stone buildings that they made with no windows because we don't find any carbon in the paint there. So they weren't burning even you know, beeswax candles or we would have found the carbon in the paint. So where were they getting their light? Oh, some say they had mirrors that shine all the way down there. But there are other things. Now, is that the case? Is, does my faith hinge on that? No, I know we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to love our neighbor as God loves us. God gave us choice. We need to give our neighbors choice. By taking the gold out of the pockets of the people and putting it in the golden calf, the, the primary thing that you did was you took choice out of the hands of the people. Now you, you have their loyalty. Because their gold is now in this calf and we're all going to defend it together. But that's not giving them choice. That's removing choice. A choice is essential 
are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is why Moses is giving you the power of the courts. This is why Moses is giving you the power of the social safety net. Every one of you, with your contributions, are voting for the minister of your choice. You're, you're saying, I trust this minister. And, you know, if, if there's other ministers farther up in the network and you trust them, you talk to your minister and you say, well, I share with you, who do you share with? Who do you take 10% of what we give to you and you give to? You know, because he has that choice. We don't exercise authority one over the other. We don't go up by steps. We don't hew the stones of the altar that are in the altar with us. We don't control them. The one who has the choice and control is down there. Because that's, that's where the treasury is, is in the pockets of the people. That isn't the way it is in the U.S. That isn't the way it is in Australia. That isn't the way it is in Hong Kong. That isn't the way it is in England. That isn't the way it is in France. That isn't the way it is in Switzerland. That isn't the way it is in Sweden or Norway. Or Canada. Or Mexico. Or any of the countries in Africa. The treasure of the, of those kingdoms are in vaults somewhere if they even exist anymore at all. Central treasuries which Christ preached against. And Moses is going to clearly preach against. But you've gone that way already and now I come upon you and say, hey, you've been going the wrong way. You need to turn around and before you turn around, you need to turn around your thinking. And before you turn around your thinking, you need to realize you haven't been thinking straight. You've been believing in something that ain't true. That ain't necessarily so, Joe. And you need to think differently. That's what repentance is, is thinking differently. So in some places they translate this, that he fired up the furnaces and turned the gold into powder. Is there a way to do that? Yeah, but we're not going into that. And then straw poured the powder on water and made the people drink the water. So where's the gold? It's in their gut. It's in their system. He's putting... Literally, colloidal gold into the system of the people. Now, am I advising you to drink colloidal gold? I don't. <laughs> not not really. Uh, so, what do you do? Repent. Start going back to those basic fundamentals at the beginning of Exodus where Moses is explaining to you how to come together as a nation and create the social bonds that are the bonds of love and charity. Not the bonds of force and fealty. And certainly not the bonds of fear. So you don't come together because of fear. You come together because of faith in the way of God. These guys didn't have the faith in the way of God. Americans didn't have faith in the way. Oh, they went to church. Uh, they did their singing. Uh, but that's not what it really is all about. And when we get into uh, Jordan Peterson, that's one of the things that they talk about is the aesthetic moral order. Aesthetic worship. They talk about aesthetic worship is something more than just singing. 
that's actually in the definition, that it's not just singing, that it's about how God actually works. How did God actually work in the sea, uh, the Red Sea in the Gulf of Aqaba, when the Egyptians decided, we're going to go kill Israelites. We're going to charge across here and kill Israelites. They judged it was okay to kill Israelites, and they themselves perished. Because they lived by the sword, they died by the sword. As they judged, so were they judged. That process speeds up in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God was about to, well, let's put it with Yahweh, this messenger that Moses was talking to, which was this, was speaking for God, Yahweh, the existing one. And because whoever that was was one with God, was saying that, you know, I can bring the wrath of God down on these people. Just by my mere presence. What they're doing will come upon them. And it, it, it could literally destroy them overnight. It's a, it's a powerful force how it works. It, it can blind them so that they literally like pigs run into the sea and kill themselves. That's not God's goal. He wants you to have life. But if you're going to be taking away the life of others, which is what they were doing, they were taking away the choice in the life of others. And that's not the way that God had been telling the people to go. They had to be giving life, sharing life. And this is why it's going to be important for everybody to understand that surely put to death doesn't mean surely put that you kill people, that you execute people. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you, you know, if if somebody slights their parents, curses their parents, you don't put them to death. You don't, you know, send them to capital punishment where they get the, the electric chair or get their heads cut off. That's not what they're saying there. And... and you just have to ask in your heart. You, you, there are going to be all kinds of people who think that I'm wrong about that. But, you know, we'll we'll talk more about that. We'll share more videos of other people who who actually believe that that's not what it really meant. And we can show you that it's not what it says in all the ancient Hebrew texts. Some of the Hebrew texts, it doesn't say that. It says something different. So why why are people changing that? What's going on here? So, anyway. Moses doesn't want them killed. But when he comes and he sees how stiff-necked they are, (laughs) he actually gets angry. And how angry he gets, it's difficult to say. You know, when we project, you know, what we would... When we get angry, it doesn't mean it's the same way that Moses got angry. It isn't the same way that God gets angry. Where his anger waxed hot. Remember the wrath of God is the consequences of going against the will of God. Against the law of nature. That process brings with it what we would, you know, a cause and effect. And we would cause that cause and effect. That would be punishment. If we say the punishment, the effect is punishment when we don't like it. We say it's a reward when we do like it. But it's still cause and effect. And and it's built into the system. And Moses 
uh, didn't want that overbearing cause and effect to come to a head completely there. He wanted to give the people another chance. And so he doesn't explain why he made them drink this drink of colloidal gold. <laughs> but he doesn't need to. And you don't need to know because nobody's offering it to you. What I'm offering to you is what they were already starting to do because they still were believing in Yahweh. They were just, and this one thing, they were creating a golden calf. They were not creating a legal charity system that forced the offerings of the people so that they everybody could have social security. It's along those lines, but it was about the fact that they were afraid that they might be overrun and this is a way in which they could prevent that from happening by ensuring the loyalty of their neighbor, which they had not yet built up enough and that's why they were going to spend 40 years in the desert learning how to build that trust in the way. And it's always going to be a problem. Each generation has to learn the same lesson. So in 21 it says, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord, not not Yahweh, my Lord, his, his brother Moses, wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us a God which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't understand what's happened to him, what's become of him. And so now, what Aaron just did there is a little narcissistic. He didn't take full responsibility, he just blamed it on the people and on Moses. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Not a good thing. So, don't do like that. And... In 24, he goes on to say, And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this molten calf, this calf. And when Moses saw the people were naked, again, what do they mean, naked? For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame, Amongst their enemies. Now, did they take all their clothes off? Uh, maybe. Maybe that's not what they did. Maybe what he meant, they were naked because they didn't have their gold in their purses anymore. And the gold is commodity money. It's portable wealth. They weren't as wealthy. When he took them out of Egypt, they all got gold. They all got silver. They all got jewels. They all got all these gifts. They weren't naked then. Because they were wealthy. Now, the, the major, one of the major parts of their wealth is in the golden calf. And so they're naked. Because they've lost some of their power and authority. Some of their life substance, their wealth, is now in that golden calf. Some of their blood and sweat is in that golden calf. It's not in them. They're naked. Without authority. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said... Who is on the Lord's side? 
Let him come unto me. And that Lord is the Yahweh Lord. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. So the Levites evidently didn't go along with this as much. And they said, we're going to go with Moses. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Slay. Are they supposed to go and kill everybody? Is that really what they're doing? And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell and we'll look at those words fell eventually probably not in this program because we're already over an hour and I am losing my voice but uh, we need to look at some of these words and I've been looking at them ahead of time I just haven't written it into the page but I will be including it there every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor so, really? It sounds like a bloodbath. And the children of Levi did according to Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Did they kill 3,000 men? Or did, was something else taking place there? I know the common interpretation of the Pharisees would interpret that they, yeah, they killed them. They took their swords and they went in there and they just slaughtered these people. Now, those guys got swords too. Are Levites getting slaughtered? Are they getting chopped up too? What What's going on? Is this really a major battle? They're going in and out the gate. Why, why are they going in and out the gate? And how are they deciding? Because he just asked these guys, who is of the Lord? So are they going in there and saying, who is of the Lord? And this guy says, uh, I'm with the golden calf. <laughs> well, you're out. You're, you're out. And they're, they're going in, they're going to take an account of the people. So, you know, it's about, each one of them have to account for at least 10 people. Maybe 11 or 12 people. Because of the numbers. Levites are one twelfth of the tribes. And they're going to go in there and they're going to say, who's with the Lord? You're not with the Lord. You're out. 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 <laughs> and those who say, that, "Oh no, we're going to stay with Moses and you," because here's Moses now, and that was the whole reason why. And so they may say, "No, we'll stay with you." But at least three thousand were out. I don't think they died. I don't think you know they slit their throats and stabbed them and had blood running all over. I think they were excluded. They were out. They fell out of favor with Moses. They weren't going to be a part of what Moses... They just had to leave the camp. They had to go away. And don't come back. And Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. 
And it came to pass, this is another paragraph, at least according to their divisions, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Preadventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold to make the people loyalty, to buy their loyalty, to possess their loyalty in this god of gold that they serve by putting their gold, their blood, their sweat into this reserve fund to create loyalty amongst the people. And he was saying, okay, all you guys who want to do that, you're out. You don't get the gold, but you don't get to stay. You have to, you have to decide. You have to consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. And those of you who won't, leave. You're gone. You're out of here. You're fell. And like I said, we'll look at that word fell at another time. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, blame me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And so he is really going down the line to care for these people. And this is, to some degree, the salvation of Moses. And this would be the salvation of all the people if they would care for their neighbor as much as Moses was caring for these people. Put himself on the line for these people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So they're still going to have to pay for this. You don't get away with it. It will be visited on them. They will be tempted again. But that will be another day. And so 35, And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. So things got a little harder at times, and we'll look at that when those times come. But I just wanted you to understand that this golden calf, what was this a superstition? Was this idolatry? What is idolatry? We know that in Colossians it tells us idolatry is covetousness, and covetousness is idolatry. So how were they being covetous? They wanted the loyalty of the people and they thought the golden calf, the central bank, the reserve fund, because those who love gold will stay and fight to protect the golden calf. That's that's what they're doing. But when they did that, they were taking choice away from the people. God wanted them to have gold in their pockets. He wanted them to be able to be juries who decided fact and law. He wanted them to be a part of a network of, uh, of a social safety net based on charity, daily choice, daily sacrifice. Because choice is essential, which we will get to. So banking on one purse to bind the people 
with a golden statue has been a part of the schemes of Nimrod and Keynes of the world and the city-states of the world and the Sumers of the world. And it's not the way of God. It's, it's a way that makes people human resources for a tyrant, eventually, which is what happened in Egypt. These systems of exchange bind the people until the benefactors and the fathers of the earth arise, weakening the people and becoming despots. Jesus was not a socialist. So, a lot of those phrases there that I just read under the caption... Uh, we'll lead you to other articles that explain them. We need to understand that Egypt means a place of bondage. Moses had the right to rule over the people like the Pharaoh because he was the Tutan Moses, the Tut Moses of his time, but chose to give them the power of choice. And that's what he'd been doing for the last half a dozen chapters or more. He's been returning the choices to the people. The power of choice to the people. Through a different form of self-government. The golden calf was a step away from that. It's a step towards tyranny. In verse 6, we see that uh, what is called a burnt offering. And, and those burnt offerings, let's I mean, it's actually spelled a couple of different ways, but it's a burnt offering. And it's translated burnt offering 264 times. Burnt sacrifice 21 times. But a couple of times it's translated rather strangely. Ascent or go up. But it's it's like hola. Hola. (laughs) So, what does it mean? Why that particular word? It comes from another word, which is Allah, which means up or offer, offer up, come, come up, ascend. You know, it has a lot of different, but it means to go up or to ascend or to climb up. And so, why does a burnt offering come from a word that means to go up or to come? Or bring or send. Well, it's the same reason that Corbin comes from a word that that has to do with drawing near. That by that sacrifice, that by that expression of love, you get closer and closer to God and the ways of God. The same way with a peace offering, which is another word. You know, peace offering. Uh, it's from Shalem, which is... You know, it's uh, from Shalom uh, to be in a covenant of peace, to be at peace. And, and this is one of the things that if if you have an argument with somebody, you need to give them a gift. And, and because that will help you make peace with them and maybe help them make peace with you. You have to do them a favor. Uh, in order, and, and they were going to be learning this. Because they knew they had to stay together to stay alive. This is a hard place and a hard life. They, they could not escape the responsibility of forgiving one another. And Christ said the same thing. That you're not forgiven unless you forgive. 
You have to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's what draws you closer. And the sacrifice for others that you had to forgive, that's a test of how much you really forgive them. Anybody can say, I forgive them. But can you forgive them and give to them? Probably not. It's hard. Nobody says it's easy. Because you have to look at the dark side of your own heart in order to do this. When the people sat, they were choosing to dwell, remain, sit, abide differently than what Moses had shown them. They were choosing to eat, or rather to eat and devour the burnt offerings, uh, which would be served them on a table that was a snare. Now, admittedly, they had not yet built the welfare system that was a snare, but this was the first step in that direction. Because now they were going to be protected because they had taken choice away from their neighbor. And once you do that once, the next choice is easier to take away. Even to drink is associated with the definition that means to drink a cup of God's wrath, of slaughter and wicked deeds. And this was a wicked deed to take that choice away from their neighbors. Even though a lot of them were agreeing to it, there certainly was pressure. Everybody had to give in. When they rose up to play, the verses suggested that their deeds mocked Moses and his God. They were setting up a covetous practice and a common purse, or at least the beginnings of a covetous practice and common purse, because they were setting up the idea of taking away choice from their neighbors, which would eventually lead to the era of the Nicolaitans and the era of Balaam, and bring them all back into captivity. But Moses nipped it in the bud. Those of you who wanted to go that way, you, you're, you fall away from us. Go away from us. Those of you who want to dedicate themselves, consecrate themselves to the way of God, you can stay. What way were they going? Think about their motivation to create this statue of gold. And that's what we've been explaining. What does it mean to be naked? And how did Aaron make them naked? Well, because he took their gold away from them. And then I have finally here, or at least right now I have, I may add a lot more to this, Freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternative choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. I love that quote. They gave up their right to choose how to spend the gold in their pocket. They took one step towards tyranny. And they would take another and another and another. And of course, when they decided to have a king, they took a bunch of those steps again. And unfortunately, in Australia, in the United States, in Canada, in Mexico, in England, in Switzerland, in Sweden, in Norway, they've all been taking those steps for half a century or more. And now the whole world is back in bondage. The new world order is already here. They're just trying to figure out how to break it to you. You need to repent. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and think differently. And there's so many links on that page now to our articles on Reserve Fund and then to the Federal Reserve and then to Mendel House and to all the people that, you know, it's amazing that one of the biggest bankers responsible 
for creating the Federal Reserve hated capitalism. In his private notes, he made that clear. He was a dyed-in-the-wool communist. He believed in communism. He believed in Karl Marx. This is one of the guys instrumental in creating the Federal Reserve. So you've been at war since 1913 against the communists. And and you don't even know it. And that's the best kind of war. If you're going to wage a war, wage it so that nobody knows that they're at war. And then everybody will just, you know, raise up in the morning and play. And they'll get nakeder and nakeder and nakeder. And then suddenly, all of a sudden they'll say, we're losing our rights. We're missing our rights. Our rights are going away. Well, you've been taking away the rights of your neighbor for over a half a century, almost a century. Well, actually you have been doing it for a century, just more and more in the last half century. So, as you judge, so shall you be judged. So, it's a long road back. (laughs) So, count the costs. Put your hand to the plow and don't take it off. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.